Hello and welcome back to Lessons from Award-winning publisher podcasts from Media Voices. I'm Peter Houston and I'm learning all I can about making successful podcasts from some of the winners of the 2021 Publisher Podcast Awards. But in this special bonus episode, I'm interviewing Chris Finn, head of podcasts at DC Thompson and our 2020 podcast hero. This episode's a little longer than usual, but it's packed with podcast production insights. But before we got into the nitty gritty, I got a bit personal with Chris, asking him, what value does a head of podcasts bring to DC Thompson? So I've spoken a little bit before about the creation of this role, and I I, I swither a bit about how to answer the question, because the, the truth of it is that, that it was a role that I pushed for um, within the organisation as my own role within DC Thompson changed a little bit. But that I say that because I want people to, especially younger people in the industry, to know that um, sometimes you can hustle a bit for yourself and and create opportunities. But I would say as well that I'd, it's not like I you know browbeat the chief exec <laughs> to give uh-huh. me a job. Um, it came from a conversation we've been having over a few months about uh, the creation of a podcast strategy within DC Thompson Media, creating a, a strand. Uh, which allowed us to engage with our audiences and find new audiences uh, in a much deeper and richer way. Was DC Thompson doing podcasts before you pushed them? DC Thompson Media had done some experimentation with audio delivery of stuff uh, before in a, in a in a way where it was individual teams trying things out. But A, there was no particular strategy, overarching strategy behind them. And that's completely fine, by the way. I, I think that's an entirely valid way of experimenting with stuff. But also, I wouldn't have called them podcasts per se. They, they weren't delivered uh, through an RSS feed. They weren't available through Apple Podcasts and Spotify oh. and everything else. And they weren't kind of, they didn't they didn't smell and taste and feel like podcasts. They, it, was, it, was, it was audio experimentation, really. Right. So the role that was, well, let me put this two different ways. The role that you were arguing for, what did that look like to you? And then the role that you actually started in, what was that? I mean, the role that I was arguing for is pretty much the role I'm doing just now. Um, I, I, I wanted DC Thompson Media to be in podcasting and I wanted myself <laughs> to yeah. be in podcasting. Yeah. I like podcasting. I think it's a good and rich and rewarding medium. But I wanted us to be there. I mean, if you really boil it down, it's because we should be there. We're the classic kind of organisation that should be delivering some kind of content through through podcasting. And I'm very wary of saying that publicly because that very often sounds like, oh, we're doing it because we should be doing it. And it's, it's the old line about we should do video because we should do video. We should have a website yeah. because we should have a website. We should have an app because we should have an app. And I'm very wary of that kind of um, reactive strategizing. But by the same token, there is value in that a little bit because, uh, you know, you've got to be where the eyeballs are or the earlobes or or whatever it is. You've got got to be where the audience is. And podcasting, as you've talked about so much on this podcast, as as we've talked about across the industry for so much, podcasting is still exploding. Um, We're still... In, in an exponential growth phase for the medium, not just in terms of the number of podcasts, number of hours produced, but in terms of the consumption rates for it as well. So, so we'd be fools if we weren't in that space. So, in terms of the value financially that you bring back to DC Thompson through podcasts, can you put a number around that or talk about that? I mean, the, the, there's definitely a lot of value that comes from podcasting. 
that is uh, less tangible than that. Uh, and we will doubtless talk about that a little bit. But it is important to note that, yes, no, we are making money from our podcasting um, across the estate in different ways. Um, some of that is direct revenue from sponsorship, for sure. And we've had some really nice successes with that. Some of it's in terms of brand partnerships that are doing interesting things. And some of it's in terms of, you know, onboarding people into the, the, the brand ecosystem, if you like. And that's been really successful. If you look at The Dirt, for example, which is our gardening and allotment podcast, we've had a lot of success with that in doing um, what might be seen as reasonably basic uh, uh, onboarding stuff. But my God, I see people not doing it. And so we do a, a, a subscriber offer for the magazine uh, in the podcast, a piece of standing audio that sits at the end of every episode. And we had a take-up rate of, if I remember correctly, I don't have the figure to hand, it was something like one in 400 take-up wow. rate of that offer, which was decent. But then actually, I'm even more pleased with the fact that of that number, about half retained at the end of their trial period. Right. So that shows me that um, while, yes, we can and are generating revenue directly from people giving us money to be on our podcast and we're doing some really cool things with energy voice in that space our um, uh, renewables and oil and gas podcast we can also generate direct revenue into the company by onboarding people into a subscriber role and that of course doesn't just mean the the pounds and shillings and pence that you bring in on the day but we all know that we love subscribers we love them being part of our community because they are our super fans and that's one of the things podcasting is really really good at is turning either fans into super fans or passing trade into super fans. So, trying to talk a little bit more generally, I've got in here why, what has DC Thompson got from podcasting? Yep. But why should you, as a publisher, be podcasting? Well, I'll give you, I'll give you six reasons why why we're doing it, and they are uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Really, number one is it's fun. And I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this, but I, but I do want it to be the first thing I talk about because it's fun for the journalists to do. It's fun for um, anybody in a quasi-producer role as I am to do. Uh, it's fun for the marketing people to get their teeth into. And I think there is real value from a sort of CPD point of view. There's real value in um, creating these opportunities for staff just to you know do new things take them away from the grind the daily grind of just churning out content god that sounds awful but you know what i mean just you know creating yeah. the same kind of content day in day out here's a completely different way of storytelling so number one it's fun number two from the business point of view it really does a really good job of fostering cross-folio collaboration and thinking in innovative ways about how you create value across a portfolio now not everybody will be in dc thompson media's position of having a broad portfolio of titles but we do and and podcasting can be a way of of of, of mixing talent and voices across those things Two examples I can give you. One is we have um, uh, two, two daily newspapers and two evening newspapers in Dundee and in Aberdeen. So that's the Courier, the Evening Telegraph, the Evening Express and the Press and Journal. There is obviously, as you'd expect, a lot of work to do to, a lot of work has been done and is continuing to be done to, to share content between those two things. But, uh, for example, we can have podcasters from one of our football podcasts that deals with uh, Aberdeen and the football clubs in the north on our podcast for Dundee and Dundee United when that's relevant. So we can begin to foster those voices working laterally across the, the portfolio. We can also do things with, for example, the Stushi, which is our politics 
podcast um, that comes out every week. And the Stushi again is a is an umbrella brand that sits across our newspaper portfolio and allows us to bring uh, political journalists and commentators from right across our estate into a single place in a single time to give their uh, expertise in different ways. So that cross-folio collaboration and, and innovation, I think, is really key. Number three, it can encourage cross-platform thinking. It can really make people... Uh, uh, stop and think about how they can create content that will work in one place, work in the other place. And Media Voices has done some exceptional work in that field. So I'm not telling you, Peter, anything you don't know. <laughs> and similarly, something that you know really well is that podcasting is deeply, deeply engaging. You know, we get huge multiples for the time people spend uh, listening to our podcast and they would spend sort of transactionally accessing some content on our websites, an example. Now, that's not to say that podcasting is better than websites. They're all part of an ecosystem of opportunities of people, people, ways people can in, in, interact with our brands and the content we produce. But it really does hold people tight. So that's really key. It can bring new demographics in. You know, we all know that, especially in traditional media, there has been for a long time a, a, a concern about the fact that you know if you. A long time ago, when I was the editor of a, of a magazine, we do a reader survey every year. And every year we did it, the average age of the reader went up by a year because it was the same cohort we were talking to, just getting older and older and older. And so bringing in, infusing fresh blood into the lower end of that demographic spread was always quite tricky. But podcasting does appeal to that that demographic. And so while you know we have people from all age groups engaging with our podcasts, as a way of bringing new uh, uh, voices in, new listeners in, new readers in, then that's a really important thing. And then last of all, of course, cold hard cash. you got to make the bucks, and we can in podcasting as long as we are um, uh, sensible to the limitations of the medium, especially in the UK where it's still quite an, in, an innovative sell to go out to clients and say, hey, sponsor a podcast. Okay, I'm sat here. You've sold me. I've got six <laughs> reasons. Six reasons why I want to do this. I want to launch my first podcast. What's that plan look like? What should I be? What's my tick boxes, if you like? Uh, marketing, marketing, and more marketing. I think it's a problem right across the publishing industry. I'm not singling us out as particularly bad or particularly good at this, but I think across the industry, as far as I can see, and I've worked in all my professional career, we don't tell people enough about what we're doing. We sort of have an, if you, if you build it, they will come attitude and you need to do better at that to accrete an audience for podcasting. So that's um, planning a marketing uh, campaign that is both ambient advertising of your podcast, but then also per episode um, scheduling of your podcast. But I'm saying this first because this needs to be baked in from before you set pen to paper, whatever the podcast equivalent of that is, before you even do anything, you need to make sure you've got your marketing folks on board and engaged in a franchise to help you make the best success of it as possible. Um, set the format of your podcast, work out what the format is going to be uh, and, and don't, you know, don't just fall back necessarily on you know a bunch of folk sitting around the table with some microphones chatting about the latest news. Consider innovative formats and ways that really serve your audience well. And you can test that, right? So you must do some pilots, pilots that you promise will never hear, uh, see the light of day because um, people will get really nervous. So you're going to say that this will never be shared. Don't worry. This is just for us to test it. So do those records, edit them together as you would as if it was a real thing. And then sort of sit back or, or even better, go out for a walk or a cycle or a, do the dishes, whatever you would normally do while listening to podcasts and 
uh, listen to it. And the same for any key stakeholders within the organisation. Let them listen to it and have a bit of a think and maybe a bit of an iterate and then maybe another iterate if you need to to see if you can get that format right. You need to do a trailer. Um, a couple of reasons for it. One is people do actually listen to trailers. Um, I I did it for the second reason. The second reason is because um, if you want to have a particular launch day um, uh, scheduled, then you want to have the podcast ready to be able to push podcast episodes into um, on that day. And Apple, for as an example, but still the biggest uh, podcast directory uh, vector, Apple won't accept a podcast feed that has nothing in it, that has got zero episodes in it. So if you record a trailer, that can be your first kind of Trojan horse episode to get your podcast onto the Apple podcast directory. But it has since become apparent to me, as I look at our stats, that people do actually use the trailers as a way of sampling the podcast. So trailer's really key. On launch day itself, a lot of people have... Uh, gone with this advice and we've done it and not done it for different podcasts across our portfolio um, but I'll give I'll pass on the advice and you can action it if you like obviously it doesn't particularly work for news-based podcasts but a classic bit of advice is to drop three episodes on day one at once and then go into your regular schedule thereafter and part of the reason for that is that one of the key metrics that a lot of the podcast directors will use to judge success is uh, speed and depth of engagement and so if you're creating a place where people can really get into you really quickly you will, are likely to do better in the charts now the charts is a little bit of a, um, uh, a fake measure of success right don't get too caught up in it but by the same token position yourself such that you're there to capitalize on chart success the dirty one of the dirty secrets in podcasting is it's not that hard to debut quite high in the charts because if um uh, apple for example is using uh, speed of new subscribers i.e., how fast people are subscribing to your podcast as a metric for quality then you can imagine you know if you're going from zero to even a hundred subscribers or a dozen subscribers or whatever yeah. it is on day one actually you'll do quite well on the charts so position yourself for success and we've actually done that um, with uh, one of our podcasts, which debuted at number one in the charts. And that was the the little push that we had to nudge a, a, a yet-to-be-convinced commercial partner to sign on the dotted line. They mm -hmm. hadn't signed the dotted line as we debuted. We debuted at number one. We went back to them and said, mate, what are you doing? And they went, no, you're right. Yeah, that's fine. We'll sign up. So <laughs> position yourself for success. And have some Martin collateral ready to go and, you know, yay, us, stuff. Yeah. Good to go as well and then the last thing though <laughs> to immediately puncture what i've just said is don't expect too much don't set your sights too high absolutely do not set your sights uh based on like web impressions or uniques or anything like that because you will absolutely be disappointed podcasting tends to be quite small numbers it takes a long time for that organic growth to build if you're not doing marketing to go along with it and uh if you too quickly expect tens of thousands of downloads, you are going to be sorely disappointed and you're going to pull the plug before you even give the damn thing a chance to live. If you've got a number in mind, I don't mean an absolute, but I mean, if so if you've got a publication that's got a subscription base of 10,000 readers or 20,000 readers, would you, would you think mm, that would be a good percentage to get to listen? I don't have a number in mind for the... Um, percentage of an existing brand footprint if you like that you should be able to convert mm. to podcasting but I th I actually and I, I can hear myself giving this answer and think it sounds like such a cop-out but I actually don't think that's the right calculation the right calculation should be about other KPIs that you have in mind about brand engagement and commercialization it may be that you can generate more revenue on a small uh, 
listenership, given a niche and highly commercialized and lucrative vertical, right? Yeah. So it it absolutely depends. The, the old the old way of thinking, obviously, about advertising and stuff is you you build a huge audience and then you monetize it. But actually, you can be much much smarter about deepening brand engagement about you know about, about the sort of dwell times if you like about um bringing in new demographics to your to your audience whether that's gender or age and about telling more meaningful stories in ways that are appropriate and you know a really good example of that is the stushi our politics podcast where obviously the press and journal and the courier and all of our papers have been churning out incredibly high quality journalism for a very very long time on politics in scotland but once you take the journalists, and this is, it's a really difficult balance to strike, but once you take the journalists um, away from just being a byline and you allow them to be full 360 degree people, um, I think you can create a, a much richer uh, relationship with an audience than you can just by being authoritative, declarative, objective in your journalism. And we can see that in, for example, some quite woolly for sure um, uh, metrics such as the kind of comments we get on the uh, dedicated social channels for the Stushy. We can right. see that people are engaging with that in a qualitatively different way than they would engage with uh, a comments feed under a Facebook post, for example. Yeah, yeah. Right, so... What makes a good podcast? What's makes a bad podcast? I mean, you know what? What I know that's totally subjective, but is there something that you know you mentioned about the pilots? What are you looking for when you've done a pilot and you think, nah, that's crap, that's not going to fly, but that one's really, really good? Well, it's funny you should mention the pilots because when I'm doing those, um, I, the thing I'm really looking for, <laughs> this, is, this is such a wankers thing to say, and um, this is such a silly thing to say, but. Uh, the thing I'm looking for is for a special moment. I'm looking for a moment where the hairs go back and uh, uh, hairs go up in the back of my head. But that, that, so that's when we're doing the pilots. But but in general, a, a wise man once said, although he's admitted to me that he stole it, <laughs> that there's no such thing as a podcast that's too long, just a podcast that's too boring. Uh, that wise man being Peter Houston. We'll see if we can test that theory in this podcast just now because I'm talking a lot. But um, I think a bad podcast there there are some really general rules i think that you can apply a bad podcast podcast is one that is not respectful of its audience whether that's in terms of not giving them content that's relevant to them whether that's in terms of content that is uh, too flabby and uh, badly edited that is uh, you know that has terrible audio quality I think if you're not respecting your audience, then you are creating a, a bad thing and you're just taking time to do something that is badly serving the community. You should be serving the best. You should be the best servant of your community that anybody can be. And if you're not, then what are you doing? And then on the flip side of that, a good podcast is one that feels like an inevitable part of a brand. You know, why on earth weren't we doing this six months ago? Why weren't we doing this 10 years ago? Um, if it feels like an inevitable part of the brand sort of uh, footprint across the different media strands, that's a, a, a really good, uh, really good podcast. I often quote, <laughs> I, I don't know why I quote it because it seems a little bit sort of basic. So why I always take the pains to attribute it, I don't know. But so Jason Phipps, who is the um, commissioning editor for podcast at the BBC, so that you need three things. You need a good, strong issue. You need a solid format to deliver that issue. And you need some great host with charisma or something to deliver that episode, uh, each episode really, really well. Strong issue, solid format, good hosts. And it, it is really true. And you cannot um, 
take one of those out. It's a tripod thing. You can't take one out. It will just collapse. People tend to focus on, um, well, in, in our in our business, in publishing, we tend to focus on that, that first one, the strong issue. We just think, you know, we, we are creating a podcast about... Uh, something, some niche within the within the the the, um, the community, and so that's fine. We'll just do a podcast and that, forgetting that they should put a format around it, and forgetting that you should have some good and charismatic hosts to help carry it. Outside of publishing, you tend to find that the thing people focus on is the the host. So you, I'm on a whole bunch of podcasting forums, and you see an awful lot of me and my mates just want to like do a podcast. We're really funny, so we're just going to set up the mic and get a few tins in and, and have a, have a crack at it without thinking about what the actual central mission of the thing is or what format is going to deliver it. And you have to have all three, I think. So in creating that podcast, just think about ways of. Uh, structuring things and delivering things it's going to be uh, as respectful to for to your audience's time and attention as possible and don't just feel don't just fall back on having a bunch of folks sitting around the mic flapping their gums how do you turn the editors and journalists into hosts how do you turn people who have never sat in front of a mic before into podcasters patiently is the answer <laughs> to that one it can take a lot of time um it's a very different kind of storytelling and for some people uh some people with big egos and i class myself among them it's a it's a it's fine you know you, you've been sitting behind a keyboard now you're sitting in front of a microphone and you you've got enough of a, a, a showman inside you to translate that across quite well but there are people who find that transition much much more difficult so they need a lot of hand holding and and encouragement so you know somebody in a producer role can really help somebody who is uh, sensitive and 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 a, a real cheerleader for the the, the, the people within it, who are there in the room and somebody who now <laughs> I I would be lying if I said I don't sometimes get frustrated with the people I'm working with if they're if they're if they're struggling to get on board with the the gig with what they're trying to with what we're trying to do with a podcast but I try and I try so hard to to hide that frustration if it ever does come because. Nobody likes somebody just going, oh, God, just be better, for God's sake, sitting <laughs> in the corner of a room. But but sometimes you, you do just have to encourage that vulnerability of expression and encourage them to allow their personality to, to, to come through. It can be difficult as well because very often part of the challenge here is to sort of uncouple yourself from the from the main brand and the main sort of brand tropes and allow yourself to tell a story in a, in a slightly different way um, to the way you would normally do in print or online. And that can be, that can be, that can be tricky. So encouragement, um, uh, reassurance, all that stuff can be, can be, can be brilliant. I mean, experiment as well, you know, just, just you and one person in a room, try some stuff. Uh, if it doesn't work, try something else. All that, I mean, you know, recording's cheap, right? It's not, we're not we're not shooting on thirty-five mil film that has a cost. So experiment, play with stuff, and also edit, 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 edit. Now we don't do an awful lot of editing in the sense of cutting out content in our podcast. But what I will do a lot of is is polishing up, especially for recording over the net, polishing up you know time delays and crosstalk and uh, somebody stumbling a little bit, especially if you know if somebody's stepping into a hosting uh, sort of anchor role who hasn't done it before, um, we'll spend a lot of time, A, reassuring them before we press the big red button, but then also in the edit, if they're stumbling a little bit, there's there's a lot of magic you can do just to tighten those things up and give people the best chance they have of, of sounding authoritative. And there's, uh, you know, 
we, we do, I do a lot of that for Energy Voice Out Loud, which is our, our energy industry vertical B2B podcast. And in that case, we produce a series of uh, branded native content, pieces of content where we interview, we are paid to interview particular people about particular topics. And I will, that's the one that I lavish the most attention on in terms of taking out the ums, taking out the, 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 the sentence restarts and that sort of stuff to make them sound like they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Now, these people do know what they're talking about, but they don't always sound like they know what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So a little bit of kindness, um, A, makes the thing much more pleasant to listen to, but also means that they think well of us because we're helping them look good. Mm. We don't always bother with that if it's, you know, if it's the voice on the telly sitting around the table talking about the Dundee United match last Friday, you know, that can go out pretty unpolished. But those times where a little bit of care can add value to the listener experience and also to your relationship with an external client is time well spent. Mm. Uh, and that brings us neatly to technology. Yeah. <laughs> People are terrified of technology. What's the technology? What's the kind of baseline technology that you need if you're doing your first podcast? And then what should you be looking to do to improve things? Obviously, there's no one answer to that, unfortunately. Um, uh, or at least there's one answer which is you know, so generic as to be useless. Um, but there's no one particular you know, magic set of kit and processes that will work for everybody all the time. And certainly the more... As is so often the case, the more time and effort you put into quality, the longer the process, uh, the workflow can be. And so you've got to constantly balance those two things against each other. But, so here's the, the ab so abstract it's useless answer. <laughs> I'll give you that one first. You need some decent mics. Um, you can, of course, record on your phone. You can, of course, record using a laptop mic that's built into your machine. But either the quality will suffer or you will spend an awful lot of time getting frustrated uh, in uh, trying to fix that in post. And you'll never ever fix it. You'll just ameliorate the worst uh, of the audio harshness from it. So decent mics is, is good. Work out how you're going to record it. You can record onto a, a, a recording desk or a little handheld thing, a dedicated audio recording device. Or depending on how you've got things set up, you can record into a laptop directly into something like Audition or uh, Audacity. You do want to prefer multi-track recording. And by that, I mean, you know, it's not just a single audio file, it's got everybody on it, but you've got each person on an isolated, dedicated track for them because you can do, you can clean up a multitude of sins that way. So our workflow when we get stuff into the edit is to cut out any part where somebody isn't talking. Um, and so, you know, you're getting rid of, you know, dogs and cats and reversing bin lorries and stuff. And then to slide those individually isolated bits of audio around so that we're accounting for delays uh, over over the web or making sure that you know, if two people were talking at once, then we can cut one of them out really easily and that sort of stuff to clean those things up. And you can't do that unless you're recording multi-track. It is more of a pain and it's a, it, it's, it's a significant amount of work that I've tried to resist for a long time actually us doing, but it is so much better and so much more respectful of your audience. Podcasting is not going to make you rich, is it? But it does give you the opportunity to make some money in some different ways. Um, what's what's your approach to that? Our approach just now with generating direct revenue from our podcasting is very much sponsorships. So that is the you know good old fashioned chap on the door kind of conversations that your ad sales teams would have with commercial partners with with clients. And it's, a, it's, it's an awkward conversation to have just now because, at least in the UK, most uh, commercial partners you could think of approaching 
don't really understand what podcasts are, don't understand the value of them still. There are some who do, but it's a bit of a pushing water uphill gig just now to explain why they should even care. It's still the thing worth doing though, because if you look at dynamic advertising, the CPM for that might be something like four or five quid. Uh, and so given, and so, you know, if you, if your podcast listened to a thousand times, you'll get four or five quid. Now that might sound reasonable, but actually it would be surprising for many podcasts to be hitting uh, multi-thousands of downloads very, very quickly. Um, and so you won't really make that much money in that in that format. And you might actually just dilute the value of the editorial proposition by doing so. You know, is, is it worth uh, 500 quid a year just to put a whole bunch of ads into your into your thing? So that's a conversation to have. But I will say that ads aren't the only way of generating revenue. You know, we talked about sponsorship. You should also think about onboarding people uh, into your broader brand ecosystem, you know, turning them into subscribers. Uh, and of course, there's like events as well, you know, selling ticketed uh, events. If you look yeah. at you know, the, the Guilty Feminist podcast, you look at the old classic, um, My Dad Wrote a Porno podcast, which sold out the Albert Hall. You know, you, you, you can, um, if you've got a good formula and you're being respectful of your audience and you've turned fans into super fans, you, you can um, ask them for some money to come along and see the podcast being recorded. It might be that uh, either it's as part of a, a, a bigger thing, you know, a bigger event, or it might be that uh, you're doing it as a virtual thing or whatever. But th- there are there are ways of, you know, this ought not to be out with the wit of man, should it, to think we've got a highly engaged audience, how do we make money out of them? Mm. Um, and, and, you know, it's a nice problem to have. If you've actually managed to onboard a really engaged audience, uh, thinking about, you know, how can we make money out of them? should be a, a comparatively simple thing to do but last thing i want to say on this is think about is revenue your only kpi for podcasting and i would submit it shouldn't be and that's not me just giving myself an easy ride i think you want to think about those deepening relationships that you're going to have with an existing audience and about onboarding a new audience you want to think about how it can bring people out from behind their bylines and and turn staff into superstars they should be they should be look at terry white at empire who uh is a phenomenal person but she is now a a a celebrity and a phenomenon in her own right as damn well she should be Mm. but uh and it's not to say that the empire podcast is the only thing that has precipitated that change of course it's not but it's only when you allow your staff and you embrace the fact that you know they'll sometimes be a bit off script and you roll with that right because you know we're, we're we're not talking especially, and it's a tricky thing to do. We, you know, we're talking about with our news brands. We're talking about journalists who have to be objective. But if you allow them to come out from behind the keyboard a little bit, and you can build those relationships, then I I, I submit you have a, a a far better and uh, more valuable relationship with the audience than 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 you would do. And to go back to one of the first things I said in this conversation, staff CPD, you know it's. The, the 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 people that I work with love doing the podcast. I think <laughs> I never get any indication they don't. They love doing the podcasts with me and with each other because it's it's something new and fun and interesting, and it forces your brain to think in different ways than in the way it thinks when it's creating copy for the page, and that's a, a really valuable thing. Right. Here's your big challenge. <laughs> you're in an elevator. You're your top tip. For someone that says, "Oh, Chris, you're that guy. You're that hero guy." 
<laughs> Chris Hero fan, yeah. that's what they call me. Chris Hero fan. What's your top tip for the first time publisher podcaster? JFDI and KDI. So JFDI, you and I have had this conversation a lot, Peter, and I know that you agree. The most important thing is you just flip and well do it. Yeah. Uh, and that's the polite version, but that you just do it. The risks here are comparatively small. You know, it is a little bit of investment in kit and a little bit of investment in time. It's nothing like the investment that we were asked to make when we were chasing video views on Facebook. And we all know how that turned out. Um, it's nothing like the investment in time you need when you're creating an entirely new launch uh, whatever channel that happens to be in it costs a tiny amount of money I mean like you know a tiny amount of money a couple hundred quid and it costs a tiny amount of time if you plan things well and you focus on deliverability so JFDI but JKDI just keep doing it just keep doing it is just as important because as I say that organic growth will be slow you will get disheartened the teams you work with will get disheartened your bosses will start frowning at you um but you've just got to hunker down and do it you know when we did for example pass it on which is a podcast that has only just recently hit a hiatus and uh, we said we're going to do it for a year and we're going to at the end of that year we're going to stop we're going to assess and we're going to see how things go and that was a weekly podcast of so 52 episodes and even that, you could argue, was too short a time to actually give something the chance to to build up a head of steam and, and, and to create an audience and to, to go. We have had some very nice messages, actually, since that retired from people saying, please bring it back for season two. Uh, work is ongoing. But you've got to keep doing it and try not to get too stressed out about the figures or the trends or the revenue or anything else. Trust your instincts that as a experienced editorial or commercial professional you know what creating a valuable product looks like and you know what creating something that is interesting sounds like and so keep creating it and also i should say you know dc thompson media can help uh you know my 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 time my expertise is here for the plundering if you give us some cash so if you email <laughs> chris at dctmedia.co.uk i have consultancy rates set up to help other companies to start this journey. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Lessons from Award-winning Publisher Podcasts from Media Voices. And a massive thanks, as always, to Chris Finn for taking the time to talk to us. You can see the shortlist for the 2022 Publisher Podcast Awards over at publisherpodcastawards.com. The awards ceremony will be in London on April 27th, and although you can no longer buy in-person tickets for the event, you can sign up to see the awards virtually. Just go to publisherpodcastawards.com and register there.